Well, welcome to the latest Care Home Management Magazine uh, COVID-19 podcast special round the table. This one's all about employment and training. Uh, we're going to put the spotlight on the importance of training at this difficult time and how employment law still applies despite some unique challenges and uh, other employment issues. Uh, I'm Steve Hemsley. I'm the publishing editor of Care Home Management Magazine. And this podcast is sponsored by Care Home Marketing Experts, Smooth Digital, helping fill care and nursing home beds with private paying residents. Uh, I'm joined by uh, three experts in social care employment, uh, law and training, uh, and we'll introduce those in a second. Uh, just so you know what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at the uh, the legal position for staff who might feel at risk at the moment and not want to come into work uh, during the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, we're going to look at the continued need for training um, and how and what providers should be focusing on at this time. And we're also going to look at how we ensure that staff are getting the most appropriate training and how we can make sure that uh, they are getting what they want and what is best for the care home, uh, for example, around mental health for themselves uh, and residents and also other topics such as infection prevention. OK, uh, time to introduce our panel today. And I'm delighted to welcome uh, Stephen Embleton, who's Chief Cloud at uh, My Learning Cloud, uh, Toya Marshall, who's Principal Employment law advisor and solicitor at ellis whittam limited and alex wilkins who's head of business development at ihasco welcome to you all really appreciate your time joining us on the podcast a very very busy time for everybody uh just quickly before we get into the discussion if you want to spend a, a few moments telling us about yourselves and your company that'd be great um so my name's uh, Stephen. i'm chief cloud of my learning cloud and my learning cloud are a provider of blended learning solutions to the health and social care sector um, and we support organisations in the sector to ensure that they have great learning and development content um, and empower learners to take responsibility for their own development through the system itself that allows them to book onto workshops and do other bits and pieces as well as the e-learning. Great, thank you very much. And uh, Toya from uh, Ellis uh, Whittam. Um, I'm Toya, as you said before, I'm a Principal Employment Law Advisor and Solicitor at Ellis Whittam. We support about 17,000 employers throughout the UK providing fixed fee employment law and health and safety support, you know, the law firm type setting just with the benefit of that fixed fee price. Me, myself, I I deal primarily with all the care side of things, which is why I'm here today. I've got a lot of experience dealing with the care sector, especially during the current crisis. And as a result, off the back of that, we've created a very special coronavirus hub um, that's free for people to access on our website as well if anyone wants to check that out. And um, Alex from iHasco. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, I'm Alex Wilkins, Head of Business Development, iHasco. iHasco are an e-learning provider of high-quality video content delivered and managed for a learning management system. We we have a strong presence in the care sector, um, and I personally work and working with um, our development team on a production of range of courses for the care certificate at the moment, which is nearly finished, and we're looking to get that pushed, pushed live soon as well. So um, I'm here for comments on the back of that as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much, all three of you. Right, let's uh, get started. Uh, first topic I wanted to uh, talk about, to start with you, Stephen uh, Embleton from My Learning Cloud. Uh, these are obviously very strange and different times for training and care homes, A, what they need to train in and finding the time. Um, but there is obviously a, a continued need to to train during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, from your perspective and talking to care homes and your expertise, what should they be focusing on? Um, you know, where, where should uh, care homes be putting their sort of attention when it comes to training at the moment? So, so really what we've seen across our estate of customers and the sector as a whole is traditionally or historically people uh, tend to use workshop medium 
as, as a way to train their staff. And obviously that's not being feasible or possible with all the social distancing and everything else that's been going on. So people are moving into looking at digital formats of getting the same outcomes and e-learning being one of them. Uh, as well as virtual workshops and obviously pre-recorded sessions as well. We've been working with Skills for Care or providing a solution for Skills for Care, which is funded by them, on uh, providing rapid induction pathways for people in the sector. So that'd be either for volunteers, existing staff, uh, or redeployed staff. There is a predetermined set of course titles that people should be focusing on at this time, depending on their role type. So that'd be things from the care certificate, um, fire safety, food safety, health and safety, infection, meds, safeguarding, assisting and moving. And there's been some real movement there by uh, Skills for Care and their guidance around what timelines people should be working towards and actually what they need to be covering. So with the care certificate where there was the whole practical application side of things, they now have moved the guidance to uh, having a self, self-help self checklist that you could use for that practical application side of things. But on a whole, what we have seen is uh, organisations really stepping up to the plate to try and ensure that their staff uh, do continue to get trained. Um, and we've seen organisations uh, be really creative in how they can deliver that. Um, because there is a real uh, continuation of need to focus on training uh, within the sector and it should never elapse just because obviously, I say just because of COVID-19, but because of the current situation, it's not a, a reasonable excuse to allow training to elapse. Now, there's certain organisations and government bodies that have provided guidance on and leniency around certain expiries, such as the health and safety executive with the first aid, where I think about six weeks ago they published advice to say that people could be out of date up to three months past the expiry to give some breathing space to the sector. Um, So that's been really welcomed by our customer base especially. And we've really been working with our customers to ensure that they still get the real mix uh, of approaches and it still doesn't just fall down one route. Uh, but we have been supporting them, migrating people out of a workshop setting into uh, virtual workshops or e-learning or other or other mediums. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, you touched on that skills to care rapid um, induction response, and it, it seems then that what care homes are after is that sort of help to to react quickly and thinking differently. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. I will I will be honest and say we're not the only provider that's funded by skills to care to provide this offering. There are a number out there. Um, but we've seen, seen a huge swell of organisations in excess of 300 organisations contact us in like the last 10 days to say, can you help us with a solution of some kind? And what we've also seen are people utilising things such as Zoom or, or Teams or, or Google Hangouts as ways to still connect with their staff to train them in a way that traditionally would be in a workshop setting. So that, that it's been really uh, exciting for us because it's open doors where traditionally they've been closed because obviously we always do what we know and have done and it's, and it's forced people to be creative and innovative in their approaches which is actually I, I, I've welcomed personally. Yeah and you mentioned about the expiries and which might reassure care homes to know that they that's one thing they don't have to worry about so much. Yeah it's a reassurance in, in, the, in the immediacy I'd say you know because obviously the core focus for organisations at the moment are supporting the vulnerable members the, the people that they, they should be supporting there should also still obviously be focused on mental health and well-being for the employees as they go through all of this but that, that little bit of breathing space does allow uh, focus to be applied where it should really be at the moment however uh, the caveat to that or the understore to that is that training should and should continue underlying what people need to do and only staff that are trained in doing so in doing tasks should be being asked to do them and but there are innovative ways to get that that same message across in a speedier fashion and that rapid induction pathway or 
what e-learning as a as a whole can can provide that for organizations yeah definitely i mean alex to you i mean as a training provider i mean you can obviously relate to what stephen's saying there about it's not about it's not about stopping training is it it's about refocusing your training uh, what do, what are you seeing and what, what do you think about what stephen was saying there yeah I, I completely agree and i think um in terms of training it, it's not um case of stopping it's a case of finding alternative ways around delivering the training because obviously it's, obviously the topics are important still they still need to be trained on i know it's difficult um, and i know it, it's tough to actually get around to it but i mean um an e-learning platform or a zoom based platform as Stephen was saying it, it is is a great um, way to deliver that and I, I think we're seeing rapidly people um opting for an e-learning solution to to cover off their needs um particularly in the areas of fire safety food safety um the care certificate it the increase in demand for it is there yeah i mean as, as an e-learning provider i mean both of you really i mean it, have you had to change some of the courses you do because there are there are there is some training which has to really be done doesn't it physically face to face which you can't always do uh, online i mean how is that going to develop but for example first aid i mean there's a first aid refreshes that can be done online but the the core practical side will still need to be taking place so so how that develops over time i'm unsure of yeah Stephen, I mean, what, what do you think is it on that or is that the sort yeah. of training that goes by the by at the moment well it's not by the by with the, the current skills for care um guidance we're specifically around moving and assisting of people um can be undertaken via an e-learning medium however there is an obligation uh, i'm talking about myself now not from skills care but there, i feel that there is an obligation once things have settled down and the new normal becomes the normal that people need to revisit that because you're quite right and uh, Alex is absolutely spot on that there are certain titles out there that should never, shouldn't really be done by e-learning uh, or via virtualization of workshops, you know, things like first aid, some medication management training, uh, along with moving handling of people because that's physical, you know, hoists and other bits and pieces. So those things should be revisited either subsequent to when things calm down or time should be carved into a day of some kind to, to, to visit those. But I know Skills for Care, of, I think for the first time in, in you know, the eight years or whatever that my whole have been about, have, have talked about moving the system of people in an e-learning format, whereas before that's never been on the table. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much. And, and Toya, from a legal perspective, I don't know what angle you come at this from in terms of what this means mm. for care managers, providers and the carers themselves when it comes to training at the moment and what they should be expected to do and, and, and not. What, yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, obviously the obligation still there that they need to keep this, you know, their obligations of training remain. So the difficulty is, I think, even before all this happened, I was finding a lot of care clients were struggling to get staff to commit to coming to training sessions, weren't turning up for them, their certificates are lapsing, etc. So they already had an issue with just trying to get either training fitted in or getting staff to commit to come to them. And what I could probably see is going to happen even more so now is it's going to be even harder to get that done. Um, whilst all these sort of e-learning platforms are there, which are great, it, it's still trying to get staff to commit to doing that because potentially it's going to have to be in their own time um, while things are super busy. So that's going to be one issue because staff aren't going to be prepared to do that in their own time necessarily. And finding time to fit this in perhaps in the working day. So in itself, it's going to still be an issue because whilst these, you know, the deadlines have been extended slightly to allow that room for manoeuvre, I could definitely see there's going to be a problem with managers finding the time and getting staff to commit to doing it. And when it does get back to sort of the new norm as was being said, at some point, getting face-to-face training done on certain things that have to be done, like manual handling, I could see that we're going to have issues there with staff potentially who aren't wanting to come into the workplace or a little bit less 
inclined to be in there at the moment anyway might be objecting to undertaking that kind of training, which isn't what we need at the moment. We need employees that are trained and doing the training that they're required to do. So I think as time goes on and everything starts settling down, training issues are definitely going to be something that, that crops up a lot. Yeah, and back to you, Stephen. On that point, are you are you seeing any um, uh, I know difficulty to get people to com- uh, to commit to it? You know, the providers might want it, but carers are very busy at the moment. How do you how are you coping with that? And are there solutions to that sort of particular issue? Well, what we have seen. Is a, is a huge upswell of usage actually where you know we've had to really invest in our infrastructure to make sure that we can support that swell where people historically may have known that there was e-learning there as uh, Toya was saying uh, and may have been resistant to do so but we've seen thousands upon thousands of completions in the last week uh, and you know the most popular time for usage when we look at the data sets for us are, are between 8pm and 11pm on, on devices such as tablets and mobile phones so that leads me to believe that people are maybe sitting down having a cup of tea on their sofa after a shift or whatever and doing a bit of learning. I absolutely agree with Tonya in as much as <clears throat> organisations need to make sure that there is a time investment in the learning development and it doesn't all just sway to doing it in people's own time because you can see a resistance build in that. I think people are open at the moment across the whole sector that it's almost like a war effort to to get out the other side and, and are being open and flexible. And I think that as long as that's not exploited by employers, which I'm sure it's not being, and and time and effort and energies are being in to support people, uh, I think that there will be an openness to undertake that learning because I think people understand the importance of being safe and and, and well-trained. Hi, Richard. Hey, Johnny, how's it going? Uh, Richard, not the best. I'm still struggling to fill the empty beds in the home. Oh, no. Have you given the guys at Smooth Digital a call? No. Could they help? Sure. They help care home owners like you and me fill our beds with private paying residents. They can market you online on Google and Facebook. Oh, yeah? I better give them a call. You'll be crazy not to, Johnny. I've built up a waiting list working with Smooth Digital. Just go on Google and search Smooth Digital. S-M-O-O-T-H. 100% smooth digital. You're a lifesaver. Welcome back to the Care Home Management Magazine a podcast roundtable special on employment and training all around the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. What providers should be doing some great advice already on the podcast. My name's Steve Hemsley. I'm the publishing editor. And our panel uh, is Stephen Embleton from My Learning Cloud, Toya Marshall from Ellis Whittam and Alex Wilkins from iHasco. Right, let's carry on. Now we're going to talk to uh, Toya about her question around employment law. And I know, um, Toya, you wanted to look at some specific areas around what would happen for uh, providers who may have concerns of staff, carers who don't want to come into work. They're worried about the risks to themselves. Um, they might uh, refuse to want to do uh, particular duties. And obviously, care home providers want to support workers who are um, at risk and residents that are at uh, at, at risk uh, what's uh, what's happening well yeah it's, it's been really interesting because you know it's, as we were saying before there's, there's this kind of almost like war-based kind of effort everyone's really pulling out the stops and everyone's seeing this as all hands on deck situation but in the midst of all this as things have peaked and things have aggressively sort of the infection rates have increased in homes and it's something we're seeing reported constantly on the news at the moment there have been instances where um there are staff raising more concerns about their own well-being and safety about ppe 
and just generally so we're, we're kind of finding you know it's a very small niche i would add of, of, of employees not a huge huge numbers but definitely start seeing increase of staff raising concerns and complaints and some even flat out just refusing to come into work. And you know, as a sort of hasten to add, it is a small number, but the problem is, is that even with that small number, we're in a situation where we need everybody working. Um, that has a big knock-on effect for the employer. Um, not only because there's a sort of a lack of staff there, but the complication is if these employees are raising issues about PPE or their own health and safety, we start trickling over into potential whistleblowing grounds, which you know is enough to make everyone take a big breath when they hear that because it's not something that any employer really wants to have to deal with. It's not a straightforward area in the slightest. And COVID-19 doesn't really change the law in that area at all. Actually, what it does is put everyone in a very difficult position because COVID-19 is putting everybody in you know, a potentially risky situation in care homes where the infection's there. And one of the main sort of um, requirements for whistleblowing is where an employee feels that there is imminent danger. And how can we not say that coming to work, working directly with COVID-19 isn't? So if the employee is raising a genuine concern that could be whistleblowing and the employer has done everything they possibly can to alleviate the risk, PPE, doing, following all the government guidance, employers are finding themselves in positions where staff are rightly able to sort of say, I'm not working because I feel there's a genuine risk here. And the employer's hands are slightly tied in terms of what they can do with those staff. So it sort of becomes a bit of a frustrating situation. So is the key then really that, that the, what's your advice for the owners of the care homes, the, the managers in terms of demonstrating they are doing all they can to make it a safe mm. place to work? Is that what it's all about? Is reassuring carers that actually that, that we, we have had a deep clean or we are we have got enough PPE? Yeah. What, what is the advice there? It's communication is key. Um, and the, the situations I have dealt with, um, I've had you know, quite a few clients in the last couple of weeks particularly who've come to me with these situations where they have sat down and spoke to the staff and they've gone through what they've done their risk assessments discussed the PPE talked them through the government guidance and even listened to the employees own concerns about what they feel could be done that might be better even if it is above and beyond what the government's saying we're finding that actually then in those situations most of the employees are eventually saying okay I hear what you're saying I will coming to work I feel a bit more reassured so like I said communication is key in that situation but it is about making sure that you're doing everything you're supposed to and I think in this current climate whilst we are dealing with this while sometimes you might want to reach for disciplinary action with employees that are refusing to come to work if you feel that they're being wholly unreasonable in their refusal I just don't think at the moment necessarily jumping straight to that is the best course of action there are times and places and certainly cases where people have whistleblown where action can be taken with that employee still but what manager at the moment realistically has time to be dealing with disciplinary hearings and do we really need to be losing more staff than you know when we're already short-handed so in those instances a lot of the advice is is try to see if you can work with the employee and if not try and redeploy them where you can within the home if the employee really doesn't want to come in and you can manage and they there are situations where we're just saying well fine you stay at home on unpaid leave but that's it you're not being furloughed or anything like that because we're not in a position to do that and we don't have to unfortunately so it's not an easy situation because quite honest employers are a bit too busy dealing with the the situation at hand to be having to deal with those sorts of employment issues but 
they are key at the moment and there's no way of avoiding them when they're cropping up. Yeah. Um, Alex, I was going to ask you, I mean, obviously you're coming at it from a training perspective, but we might be asking, you know, carers to go on a, to do some training, come into the care home and do the training or whatever. What, what are your, your thoughts on, on this? Can you understand what, where Toy is coming from? I think absolutely. Um, I think um, coming from, because I've got um, from background of health and safety, I think that you need to be reassured that you're, able to work safely that's at all times let alone in the current situation as well i'd like to say i have the utmost respect for every single carer who's going into work because they're they're making sure people are looked after and i think i think it's absolutely brilliant but the ones the ones that are unable or, or don't feel like they're able to go into work i think there needs to be some clear transparency as um toya was saying i mean they need to hear the employees feedback and they need to to relay back to them the procedures and the policies that they're putting in place to make sure that that worry or concern that the employee is feeling is is being heard and being dealt with if that makes sense yeah is it i mean when it comes to training i'll ask Stephen the same question in a second but are there are you running any courses on to help with communicating this the policies and with managers and i mean i mean in terms of our system we do have a a tool in our system where people can deploy policies out to staff members so that they're aware of the most recent policies that are in place for this training wise um we have a communication training course and it's something that people are using um effectively Stephen, for you then as well i mean what, what do you think to the the legal situation here and, and from the training perspective is there help you can give to managers so they can deal with this maybe responsibly and with with empathy and, and understand the law I, I was really interested to hear what toya was saying from a legal point of view and you know with the national shortage of ppe if i cycle back ever so slightly to you know when this uh, pandemic started uh, a lot of the a lot of the language was just purely about the NHS and it it took a number of weeks and lobbying by people in care England and UKHEA to get the the profile of care or social care equalized in in language from people like Matt Hancock and you saw him sit there stand there with the lovely badge etc but there is a there is absolutely a national shortage shortage of PPE, and you can I've personally seen you know articles on the news etc where people are having to either make their own or whatever, and there's been that that effort. So you can really understand how carers' uh, well-being concerns or mental health issues are at the forefront of their mind, and, and you've seen people make some amazing steps and decisions to step away from their family whilst they're and move into care homes etc. But in, from from a training perspective, you know it sort of pales into significance really you know our lms is very similar to alex's in as much as you can do policy management and communication management and all the rest of that sort of stuff but um if if an employee has a concern over you know their well-being or or uh, resources or what have you if they really do feel that they're not being uh you know following government guidance and government guidance has been has changed over this uh pandemic uh, that they should have the ability and freedom to raise that uh with their employer and their employer employers should absolutely listen and take it on as a valid piece of feedback you know that voice should not be diminished or, or ignored really but obviously what we're doing for our uh, customers at the moment you know is we're giving them free training and 90 minutes of um, free online trainings for them to maximize the usage of the system etc i mean i mean toy Stephen touched on some things there about everyone yeah, social care now being a higher, um, its profile has been raised, etc. We probably see. I think I saw some stats that more people are applying to work in social care now because they can see the value of it, despite what we're talking about now yeah. about the potential risks. But in the future, hopefully, that'll be one good thing that comes out of this. I mean, do you think the law? 
uh, around all of this will have to be changed? Is, is it sort of still fit for purpose when we come out of the, the whole co- uh, coronavirus uh, period, or however long that might be? Do you think as a lawyer that people will, that the government will need to look at the law and make some changes because we are going to be living di- and working differently in this sector? Oh, it's really hard to say because a lot of the sort of law around sort of recruitment and all of that isn't really going to be massively impacted, I don't think, by this. And I think, I think it's going to be more, if I'm honest with you, to do more with the procedural side of things internally, less necessarily to do with the legal side of things. Because I can't see there needing to be any changes in regards to the sort of contracts, etc. employees are being placed on. But I do see that, you know, there possibly does need to be a change in the way of some of the procedures that are maybe followed that, um, sorry, care homes and other sort of care organisations need to follow when taking their staff on because we've got such a huge demand of people wanting to work um, in this sector now which is great you know people are wanting to sort of you know pull together and help but we've got homes and, and other businesses that are desperately needing staff and I think the problem we've got is that the procedures they need to follow to get employees on board and working the length of time CRB checks and things take those are the things that probably need to be reviewed to see if there's a way to speed that up because sometimes I get clients saying that they've got you know they've been waiting weeks if not months in some cases for some of these checks to come back and those are the kind of delays that I think are going to have a huge impact that could be done with being reviewed. Yeah, I suppose, Stephen, that goes to that, uh, the, the rapid induction um, side of things you were talking about earlier. Uh, yeah, so obviously, you know, at this, at this moment, the sort of typical pathway of someone being inducted pre-COVID-19 would be a, a sort of an arc of a 12-week window to undertake their induction. I think that's shrunk at the moment and, and targets are now sort of there around about four-week window to try and undertake similar kind of, of learning content on board to try and get people through and onto the shop floor, as it were. I think, I think it, would revert, it will revert back to the status quo of before. Uh, post-COVID-19, but maybe the use of more variety of technology as a way to deliver that learning will be more adopted as people get more familiar with things such as Teams and Zoom and that functional um, ability of what it can do and actually the, the money saving it can it can provide and the freedom to go on and watch a pre-recorded video on a on a particular topic versus dri- driving 90 miles to a training centre, eat a stale sandwich and drink a cold cup of tea while listening to someone talk to you for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to ask it to you, I'm going to ask it to you, Alex. I mean, we've seen a lot of volunteers coming into care homes at the moment who probably need this sort of training. I suppose either you learning side is quite useful isn't it for them to go away and help I mean they're never going to be the experts straight away but has that become a new area well, yeah we've seen obviously a lot of new people coming into care homes to help out and, and whatever is that been addressed at all by training the training sector um I, I believe so I mean the e-learning sector has been a, in a, been a beneficial way to deliver the training needed um for quite a long time now and I think uh, care um care may not have adopted it the same as other industries uh, initially in terms of delivering the training for e-learning but I think getting people trained especially volunteers um, who are coming in at the moment getting them trained quicker should I say is definitely required I think and especially on areas like food safety fire safety health and safety we are we are seeing an increase in usage on our system um, from all sectors good excellent and that that feeds quite nicely into what you were going to talk about Alex which is about um you know making sure care and providers and it sort of ties in what Stephen was saying as well about you know really focusing and looking at what the specific training requirements are now in this sort of new normal what's appropriate uh, where we should be focusing um 
attention and sort of talking to teams to to toy's point that communication i mean talking to the team saying what do you where are your gaps of your knowledge and i suppose volunteers they might be those basic uh, health and safety you know the starting blocks as it as it were so i mean is that what it's all about really communicating talking to your carers making sure that you know we are focusing on on, on the right things and asking them for what they want to be trained in yeah i think i think communication is always key um is um asking them now what they would like to be training is definitely going to be beneficial um but i think skills for care has done a fantastic job on outlining as Stephen was saying earlier a little rapid induction for staff uh training for volunteers uh training for existing staff what needs to be done at the moment i think they've done a great job in outlining that and making sure people are clear and understanding and obviously it's now down to the providers to support that uh, and make sure each staff member can get the training they need um at this moment in time in, in them relevant areas obviously the, the toy was mentioning the increase of people um applying for jobs in the care home that obviously comes with risk because there will be less knowledge shall i say um and the training still needs to be delivered to them yeah definitely and in particular areas i mean we mentioned it i mentioned something in infection is, is a crucial area isn't it going for mental health issues you know the mental health of residents is being affected at the moment isn't it because yeah. they, they can't understand why they can't see their family or, or why they might have to be shielding or isolating uh it is about picking up on the key areas at the moment isn't it absolutely and um we've been working with the, the care homes in the southeast on behalf of the um, nhs to provide free mental health and stress awareness training um to support them because mental health is obviously a, a huge risk at this moment in time for everyone people who are working people who aren't it's it, it huge so um we're trying our best to support that in partnership with them as well but key areas as you mentioned about infection prevention it's key to make sure we're, we're offering that as well so we, we're offering that free to any key worker as well um to try and make sure that message is getting across effectively and, and mainly to ensure people are staying safe on that yeah. side of things yeah. you mentioned mental, mental health side there with how you're working with some homes in the southeast uh, can you talk a bit a bit more about that uh, i mean what what form does that take this mental health training what sort of things are are covered is it helping carers look out for themselves and in the residents yeah um it is so it's it's a solely online course designed to be delivered to the person themselves and what it does is it's accompanied by a toolkit as well for them to have reference and guidance to refer back to at any time i think it's a good point you mentioned there to look out for um look out for the issues in others as well because it gives you that awareness not only to deal with your own mental health but also to um spot signs in other people and offer them support um on the basis of the, the training that they've undertaken um uh, we've got a separate one on stress awareness as well um because it it was a topic that we felt was needed a complete course um solely for that topic yeah thank you and, and Stephen, then have you seen that also uh, an increase maybe demand for sort of stress or mental health related sort of training for either the carers themselves or to notice it in residents because we are in you know, a mental health in this current lockdown is affecting everybody has that has that sort of risen up the agenda the training agenda or not yet yes and no in terms of within the uh, i know that there's more focus around isolation um in supporting people who are experiencing isolation um as, as a as a part within the pathway of safeguarding has, has absolutely become uh, more important within the volunteer uh, induction program that um, you know skills to care have published uh, that focuses on what the role of the volunteer should be doing and, and looking at mental health triggers or well-being cues around 
people in which they support. But generally within the offering that we provide as an organization, you know, those courses are sort of there and thereabouts. Our customers are are utilizing those in the normal capacity. Yeah, thank you. And and Toya then from a, a legal perspective, it ties in that the whole mental health issue, I suppose it could help care providers help in their communication with their carers in terms of making them not worry so much about coming into into work uh, is there a, an opportunity there do you think to where the, the mental health training and stress training can help to maybe alleviate some of those other problems which might break might you know, lead to whistleblowing or employment tribunals yeah definitely i think even before this happened one of the things i often saw with sort of clients coming forward about employees being absent etc was um employees saying that they didn't feel they were getting properly supported to do with mental health or especially if some, they'd had an incident at work, for example, uh, you know, um, if they'd had an issue with a dementia patient, for example, hitting them, which is one example I have to deal with, um, the employee ended up going off with, with stress for quite a long time because they were fearful to come back to work and be near any of the service users. Um, and one of the things they were constantly muttering about is that they didn't feel they'd been given training first in how to deal with these really difficult situations and support with their own mental health. So now as on top of the already pressurized situation that some of the care assistants were dealing with, now having to deal with the COVID situation, their mental health is going to be you know, even more under pressure. So I think training specifically for that is definitely, it's better to be sort of proactive, I think, than reactive in that situation. If you can offer it and almost head off any problems in the get-go, it's got to be better all around. And then we're sort of waiting for these problems to arise. And if you, these sort of training sessions are not only going to be beneficial to the employees in work, you know, the effects of it outside of work will be great for employees too, which will further reduce absences and any other consequences from employees suffering mental health issues, really. So I think it's got to be a positive. Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Care Home Management Magazine podcast. Um, just quickly before we go, I wanted to ask you all uh, maybe one more question. We haven't, t- well, we have touched on it actually about recruitment, and we've had volunteers going in. We've we've mentioned the fact that it does seem more people are thinking or becoming aware of a career in in social care, which is fantastic when you consider the amount of the thousands of vacancies there are. I'd just like to ask each of you really what impact you think that will have on your particular areas, whether it's training, uh, inductions. Uh, obviously, going forward, it's, it should be positive for all of you, and obviously for Toya. From an employment perspective, what, how careful care home providers have to be if they are just obviously letting people into their care homes who might not be qualified or, or you know, there's a need. Start with you, Stephen. Uh, this boost in recruitment going forward, what will that mean for the training industry? Obviously, it's, it's going to mean more more training, but what are the caveats here, and, or is it all quite positive? Obviously, the, the part, you know, health and social care has been underfunded by government for at least a decade, and uh, they have been cutting their cloth accordingly and trying to stretch it as far as they can. And the, the drive to get, what, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, new employees within the within the ecosystem within the next sort of six to six to twelve months is going to hopefully you know relieve some of the pressures that are there that improve people's mental health and well-being but you know what i see is is a obviously opportunity to provide great training to those individuals that enter into that market and for care homeowners, you know, they should still be focusing on those core skills that the you know that mandatory training that staff need to be undertaken and really evaluating what tasks they're wanting to do to make sure it's the right medium of learning available to that learner and actually asking them the question how they like to learn um, and not necessarily just pushing them down one 
one road. So, so you know, I see it as a positive step with a lot more needing to be done. Yeah, thank you. And Alex, uh, for you, you guys, will, will you be sort of looking at the sort of training, the courses you offer, how you deliver it if we do see a sudden well, not necessarily sudden, but a, you know, a gradual in, in increase in, in people coming into the sector, wanting to come into the sector. I think we will, yes. And I think we're going to have to ensure that we can cope with any additional requirements that are going to come out of this because I don't see the requirements as they are so far staying like that. I feel they are going to increase and we're going to need to adapt and ensure that we are there to support the, the influx that's going to be coming into to the industry potentially. Um, and we need to be able to support the training requirements that are behind that. I think Stephen made a good point about um, the influx of employees will help with the mental health as well and more staff there is less less strain on one person should I say but but overall from a training point of view I think obviously it sets it's going to be um, good from a training point of view because we can have input with or should I say we can deliver courses that are going to be published as a requirement and we we can aid um, by working with organisations such as Skills for Care. Thank you and um, so Toya from the legal perspective if we do see lots more people coming into the sector from an employment law perspective for both sides uh, especially from the providers what would you say? Um, I think the main thing is really it's not necessarily going to change things or, or that there's going to be any necessary obvious changes but I think it's just going to actually be even more important that the basics are in place that are so easily overlooked such as contracts of employment and, and policies and procedures when you've got you go from a smaller number of staff to an increase in that number it's even more important, I think, that everyone knows what they're required to do, what the rules of your business are and, and the policies and procedures. I mean, for example, the Good Work Plan has probably been completely lost in all of this because that came in on the 1st of April, which is a whole raft of requirements that employers now need to have in their contracts. And I'm sure there's probably many that have put that to one side for all new starters going forward because they're otherwise uh, preoccupied. But it's going to be even more important now with everyone new that you take on has to have a contract that's compliant with the Good Work Plan. So... I think increasing staff recruitment is going to mean that employers have got to look at all their housekeeping and their documents as a priority. That's great. Well, interesting times uh, for employing people and training them. Thank you very much, everybody. That's uh, all we've got time for. Very interesting, very informative. Uh, thank you very much for taking part. So I just thank our panel again. That was uh, Stephen Embleton. He's Chief Cloud at uh, My Learning Cloud. Uh, Toya Marshall, Principal Employment Law Advisor and Solicitor at Ellis Whittam and Alex Wilkins, Head of Business Development at IHASCO. Uh, you've been listening to the Care Home Management Magazine Employment and Training Podcast Special with me, Steve Hensley, and sponsored by Smooth Digital, helping fill care and nursing home beds with private paying residents. Uh, we'll be back with more podcasts over the next few weeks, but thanks for listening. Look after yourselves, and uh, we'll speak to you soon.